Sitting with the politicians Suiting up these rags needs stitching How'd I get to this part of the plane? A nomad riding a luxury train In the sky Do politicians wanna be musicians? A rock star with a party line Folk tune we know the words to Empty sounds resounding sounds of nothing The ladies dancing the safety demonstration Painted faces nothing out of place Would they stay that way If we tumble to crash Perfect dolls would we float Salted, washed, lifted, lost But found somewhere else Found somewhere else Taken by a light Brightest on the other side Let me know the color and trace of my And face them without a tremor Without the slightest sense of dread But as the ghost of my unruly head May just see its own kind Its own creation And a final place The most beautiful, serene Welcome to Live Culture. That's a beautiful song called Sculptor from a band called Luluk. Good I'm, morning. Good morning. Hi, Max. How's it going, everyone? I'm sorry. You're I just good... turned you up there. Sorry. Oh, no. She's spiking my levels bright yeah. and early, folks. We have some April showers to bring May flowers today for sure. We do. We do. So I'm Martha Willett Lewis, and this is Maxim Schmidt, and Hello. we are here today on Live Culture with uh, Ruby Gonzalez Hernandez. Ruby, hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic this morning. It's so great to have you on, Ruby. Welcome to Live Culture. Thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure. We wanted to touch base with you. I mean, I guess first and foremost, we'd love to hear a little bit about you, your sort of artistic practice, and how that has cultivated the community that you've fostered now called Fairside. Absolutely. So uh, my name is Ruby. I'm an indigenous Zapotec artist, educator, curator, and uh, community activator uh, born here on Quinnipiac land, uh, land that is now known as New Haven, Connecticut. And I'm primarily a lens-based artist, and I like to use uh, photography as a tool in printmaking, in woodworking, and in other like experimental media to investigate and find language for, you know, many themes. Um, and funny enough, you know, my artistic practice led me 
to create Fairside to be in greater community, direct community with other artists. Yeah. So based on, you know, where where did you see the need as an artist to create a space like Fairside? As someone who's engaged with some of your programming, it's been really exciting to see the direct artist to artist contact and what kind of just generally community that fosters, especially in a time in New Haven where I feel like artist-based community is a bit in turmoil. A bit in turmoil, yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't even really know what Fairside is. So. Yeah, so define, yeah. Give, us, give us sort of an overview of Fairside and the programming that you've developed so far. Absolutely. I'd love to tell you a story of how this came to be. I So I'm an artist. I'm 24 years old. Uh, about... Uh, seven or eight years ago, I dropped out of college in the fall of 2016. Um, you know, the election was going on and all these other stuff, but I was away from home and didn't have the community that I needed to thrive. Um, and so I came back to New Haven, needed to start working and wanted to work as an artist, but didn't have the skills or connections to directly artists um, uh, to, to be able to like be nurtured, to grow. Uh, I wanted to qualify for these open calls but I either didn't have the money or didn't have, wasn't at the right place to apply for them. And I hungered so deeply uh, to be in community directly with other artists, but couldn't find it without going through nonprofit hosted events. And like, don't get me wrong, like arts nonprofits, like try their hardest to host these events and all that. Yeah, I think that's um, important to remember. There's a place for them, but it's (laughs) limited. Yep. (laughs) Right. And like, and like what I'll, I'll give you examples, like, I don't have $30 to pay to be considered for an exhibition. Absolutely. I, I, I don't like a lot of my folks, a lot of my friends don't either. Um, it, it, it can, it can feel very exclusive sometimes. And so Fairside was born, uh, honestly from my early needs, um, in, in what I faced in trying to grow and nurture myself as an artist. Um, I find to be in community directly with artists in the experiences that I've had have always been so warm and transformative. And like, I feel like I can be more myself as an artist and talk more freely without, you know, using art jargon or trying to describe something that I don't fully understand. You yeah, do you saying? think that there's a greater sense of authenticity that comes from these sort of artist-artist relations versus sort of the need for, you know, the artist jargon is a big thing that I think a lot of us talk about where you have to sort of elevate your language about your practice or sell yourself to institutions versus the kind of creative connections you can make from one, one another in these sort of spaces. Well, and can I say yeah. one thing about art jargon here? Uh, you know, I think that Art jargon is one of these things that almost everybody hates. The public hates it. Artists hate it, although they try to use it to make themselves sound smarter, I think, or more relevant. I'm not sure. And institutions don't usually like it. The only place it's really meant for is the academic world when those words actually have a specific meaning. And even then, it's a little pretentious. It's a little passe sounding, honestly. Right. Right. And like, I guess to continue um, to add on to that, I think that, no, my experience is when uh, an arts institution is holding an event, the most impactful uh, experiences for me are when those events or programming are directly artist led and artist influenced. Understandably, because then it's coming from the community that these spaces are supposed to serve. Exactly. And the audience can be considered greater to be in my opinion. 
Oh no, absolutely. And, and by all means, feel free, speak, speak freely. Um, it, it creates this sense of equality, I think, is what you're saying, where there isn't sort of a hierarchy among the the sort of bureaucratic structure of the institution versus the artists and, and this sort of idea of community. Um, in terms of, of programming for Fairside, Parallel Play, I know, has been an extremely exciting program that you've put together. And I know that the next Parallel Play it's session soon, right? is today. It's today. It's this Tonight, evening. Yeah. Oh, and it's over near Erector Square, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, Byron Erector Square, Bregamus Theater. And so, Ruby, if you want to give some details and also the registration details, so if people want to hop on this evening or are excited about what you're doing, they yeah. can jump right in. Absolutely. So can I just uh, backtrack and tell yeah, you a little course. bit about Fairside first? Okay, so Fairside is a community of practice. And what that community of practice means is a group of people who share a common concern or set of problems or interests who purposely make a point to come together. Um, so it's a community of practice that exists to hold a moment, a space, and a place for artists to be in fellowship with one another, to be together uh, without shame, outside of the gaze of arts institutions. It is a space to welcome shared learning with and from and to and through and by each other. So artists are the center, regardless of what we bring to the table. And so that takes so, priority first and foremost. Right. That's the center. That's the main idea. Um, if anything at all, I want artists to be able to come together without needing to buy in, without needing to, to like uh, check their credentials to see if they fit into the space, without feeling intimidated. I really want folks to feel like this is theirs. That's beautiful. Because it is. So, um, so, yeah, go ahead. Um, I'm just wondering if one attended, what would, what could one expect? How is this, is this structured in any way? Is it just tables of people making and talking? And it's current form with the parallel play yeah, sort of yeah. format. Like if I went tonight, what would I expect? Yes. So think of parallel play like an open study hall. You're welcome to bring whatever it is that you're working on, paintings, drawings, your computer to edit on, you know, on your, on your Photoshop or Adobe software um, and I'll have tables, I'll have chairs, and then I'll have my, one of my favorite parts of, to provide for this event is the snacks. Um, we have a chocolate fountain, Ooh. we'll have fresh fruit, wow. we'll have chips. <laughs> and then actually one of my, one of my dear friends, um, Nadine Nelson, shout mm-hmm. out to her, is, uh, a chef who volunteered to make something for us tonight. So oh, we'll have awesome. Yeah. So it's a surprise. I haven't mm-hmm. announced it anywhere, but like you'll you'll see tonight if the you come by peak. some of her delicious food. That's um, lovely. So yeah, it's a safe space to work on your own art alongside other artists with a chocolate fountain provided. <laughs> what more could you ask for? I don't know. And even the, the contribution from Nadine really speaks to, you know, everyone showing up for each other and being willing to provide in a way that isn't exploitative. It isn't asked of. It's like, oh, no, I believe in what's happening here and I want to be a part of it. And I want to be this sort of self-sustaining creative community where we're able to uplift each other. And and I want to know, you know, how has that how has, you know, creating Fairside in the programs that you've done so far, how has that shaped how you want to continue? Continue this in the future and expand this. What are some of your your ideas, sort of moving forward? And and we're just excited about Fairside. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Um, honestly, building this, I'm in a couple fellowships right now to, awesome. to nurture this growth. Um, shout out to you know the Arts Council and shout out to um, CEIO. Um, building Fairside and building Parallel Play has 
informed me further, more deeply of my own values, that artists are the reason that arts organizations have their power and the foundation for these structures to stand on to exist. However, I don't necessarily believe that artists are always put first. Mm-hmm. Um, these professional relationships, as I've already kind of touched upon, that often grant great leverage through visibility and opportunities to grow in their artistic practice are often extractive and even exploitive. I honestly, every single artist that I know has a story. Um, and and I, I think that's what I'm, you know, trying to say, extractive, meaning it can look like, you know, fundraisers where nonprofits ask for free donated artwork, open studios where payment is required to participate, open calls that require payment and exhibitions that require artists to split profits unevenly with the gallery host if their works are sold. And so these asks require artists to contribute in some form to participate. Um, and honestly, like, this is just me talking more about why their side is necessary. Yeah, hold on to that thought because our next guest is going to be Susan Clenard and we're going to address the topic of what artists are asked to do. Yeah, the burden from um, institutions volley back. Yeah, I want to give a kind of disclaimer. I'm I'm cu- resident curator at the Institute Library, and we do not um, we do not charge for our open calls. They are always free and, and open to the to the public. Because that's and the great, least like, we can do as, right, as arts admin paying, in any capacity. So you're already paying to make your work. Right. I teach a class at Hartford Art School, and I'm I'm getting the students to do their budgets, and I'm like, your your work costs to make and and there's all of these other costs, like the shipping materials or packing materials. Um, I would say that things like open studios, asking the artists to contribute to it, seems like actually a relatively good deal to me. And in the past with open studios, like it does more than a group of artists could ever do together in terms of paying for advertising and getting the word out there and it's getting a little more symbiotic than, yeah. than other models that Ruby's outlined, which, which and still can exist in tandem with these free well, options. And you can disagree with me, but let me finish my sentence. Okay, so, the, so the other thing yeah. was in the past, you used to be able to, um, uh, if you didn't, if you couldn't pay, you used to be able to donate some time to the gallery too, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I, I did, I spackled some walls one day and that worked off my fee. But I think, you know, $50 spent on an open studios is is not a bad deal. But you please disagree with me. Well, it's, it's relative. No, let, her, let her disagree with oh, me. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, I deeply believe that artists ourselves have everything that we need uh, to make whatever it is our collective goals happen. And so I guess what I'm saying is, if artists want to get together and host and run our own open studios, I'd say I'm down for that. That's good because that's what is happening right now in Erector Square. The time has come. (laughs) We just started having meetings and we're talking with other groups around the city. We're trying to figure out how to engage with them without actually running it for them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, but we are, it's, it's the hundredth anniversary of Erector square, um, as wow. a place. So, That's you wild. know, we wanted to have like a celebration of that, the history of that, and also to have our studios open and it's going to be a lot smaller and a lot more kind of downscaled. And I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping Fair Play can be part of it since I didn't even realize at first Fairside. that you were in, in the theater there, but that would be great. Yeah, Fairside yeah. existing sort of in, 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 in tandem, yeah. yeah. That would be amazing. I would, yeah, absolutely. 
And so in terms of tonight's parallel play session, if people want to get involved, where should they register? And, and how can we find you on social media, online? How can we support this more directly and also spread the word so that more more groups like Fairside also can come come into existence? How can we inspire other people to form small groups and then come on down to Fairside as well? Absolutely. So you can register on our website. It's fair-side.com. Um, and the flyers posted up there with all the info as well. And then you can follow us on social media uh, on Instagram at fair underscore side. Um, and then you can follow me um, on Instagram as well uh, at uh, Chicana uh, Reina. Uh, and then uh, the first letter instead of a C like Chicano is an X. Perfect. So I think we will be posting this. Uh, Live Culture has a Facebook page, and we will be posting all of this on the, the Facebook page after the show. We'll make sure to share all of the right. details. And I, and I will also put it on the WPKN archive. Um, also, when we finish the show, the archive is up, and people can listen to it for two weeks as they wish, and we will put the information up there, and then it will become a podcast, so we can have the information on that as well. Because I, sometimes I think when you say things on the air like, websites and things. It's, exactly. It can hard. fly over people's heads to some extent. It's important yeah. to include for the context of people that are going to type it in immediately, but it's also right. important yeah. to have that record as right. well. And one other thing I wanted to touch on, Ruby, is it's at a new location as opposed to Make Haven where it had been held uh, traditionally. So it's at 491 Blashley Ave right outside of Erector Square at Bregamos Community Theater, correct? Bergamo Community Center. It's at Erector Square. It's just behind. Yeah, ah. you go in the side on the black. Oh, there's Avenue a beautiful side. banner, actually, that you'll see when you yeah. pull up. I can picture it in my head. I'm envisioning it. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. perfect. That'll flag everyone down. And totally. so people are allowed to kind of make a mess. I could bring oil paints and... and yes. Okay. Absolutely. Um, we'll have, you know, outlets. We have a sink. We have a microwave if you even need that. Uh, but we will provide uh, basic material. Awesome. Oh, that's nice. And approximately how many people come to these events? Uh, average of 30. That's wow. amazing. That's, that's big. That's why we had to, you know, upgrade our, our uh, host. That's uh, fantastic. Our vendor, sorry. Now, so uh, we're extremely grateful for Bergamo's Community Theater. No, that's really fantastic. Um, and I, I know you from Lunch Money Prints, which was a while back, but that was also a slightly utopian art project. Um, it, one of the things it I, was, <laughs> yeah. And I want you to talk about it, but I also just want to say one of the things that I love about artists is that they generate these projects that that work outside of the existing economy, absolutely, in different ways. But then they form what becomes the norm in the future. So this might be the norm in the future. Thank You're you. leading the it way, always, Ruby. <laughs> thank you so much. I, I, it always ends up becoming like anti-capitalist, but I'm not mad about that. Yeah, rightfully so. There's a re- there's a reason for that, which is why I think it makes sense that it always circles back to that more or less. We're all we're all sick of it. <laughs> I just want to say that you were listening to WPKN 89.5 FM and streaming online at WPKN.org. I'm Martha Willette Lewis, and I'm here with Maxime Schmidt, and this is Live Culture, a monthly program about visual art. And we have on the phone Ruby Hernandez Gonzalez. Gonzalez Hernandez. Martha, Martha, Martha. My verbal dyslexia, excuse me, Ruby. Um, But we are delighted to have you here today on the show. This is for listeners who might be checking in. On radio, people come and float in and out. So we want to make sure they know what they're listening to so they can get excited about these projects as we are. (laughs) So with Lunch Money Prints, are you a printmaker primarily? 
I'm actually not. I'm a photographer um, primarily, but I, I use I use photography as a tool in other mediums. And right now, that just happens to be printmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, lunch money print has been on pause yeah. because of this need for fair side. And so lunch money print was an international print exchange program where artists could, they pay a fee, um, they submit their prints, and they, those prints get traded with other artists. Right. As well as, you know, one of their prints from that collection goes for sale on the website, which is still up, lunchmoneyprint.com. Cool. And if it sells, all of the profit goes directly back to the artist. That's awesome. That's really, really yeah. nice. I hope it comes back again because I think it's a really lovely idea. Um, Thank you. And I like the idea of artists sharing their work and trading each other's work and so forth, having their own collections. Because a lot of the times right. we're the ones that care about it the most. And yeah. again, it gets back to like being birthed. Uh, not because of, of, you know, institutional turmoil that's going on, but because of the need that artists have to be directly in community with one another. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about what you think some of those projects are? Oh, my God. East Rock House. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Uh, community, community with a Q. Um, oh, my God. I'm going to pull up my Instagram right now. Okay. I don't. Because <laughs> there's so much. Because maybe our listeners don't know about some of these things. Oh, my God. Many there's, of the people um, who listen to this show are, in fact, artists. So. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, let me see, Isaac Bloodworth runs um, New Spiral Collective with, with a bunch of other folks. Um, there is Community Virtual New Haven. Um, there's uh, Magic Press run by Ali in New London. Um, I could I could keep going. Oh my goodness. That's great. Um, That's great. That's a good starter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a great list to get people's get people's feet wet. Yeah. So Ruby, in terms of your own work and exhibiting your work, how has that progressed? You were talking in the beginning about how you felt intimidated and not ready for and and that you, that people kept asking you to pay to show your work. Um, yeah. I don't even mm-hmm. like it when they charge me for slide room, which is one of the ways that jurors can look at work. Um, mm. I'm kind of against paying to have my work looked at. Sometimes I'll do mm-hmm. it, but, but I don't actually like juried shows as an idea. Understandably. I oftentimes don't have the cash to participate in that, so I no. just don't. And you know what, as you know, I have progressed as an artist, as I've been working around uh, in the city of New Haven for nonprofits or as an artist assistant for folks or on arts community projects, I think I've been able to uh, pin down better language for what it is my values are. Um, And I mean, I'm really interested in showing work to folks that live in my neighborhood, that live in Fairhaven. Fairside is actually named after Fairhaven. That's what, you know, we would call it when we were kids. And um, I'm interested in talking to folks that don't really have, who aren't necessarily trained in the arts. Um, I think Fairhaven has been uh, a little bit neglected um, in the art scene. And I want to connect the dots and I want to connect my community, um, uh, including, like, you know, folks who speak Spanish, who come from a, a Latinx background, mm-hmm. um, to, the, to, the art, to the arts community in New Haven. And so I'm interested in showing work, um, not necessarily in galleries, but where my community can uh, reach me and understand. 
Um, my last exhibition was a solo exhibition at Cheshire Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much to Anna Enriquez. Um, and I showed uh, a series of photographic woodcuts at a lot uh, they're like uh, four by five feet. I think, photographic, around that photographic woodcuts. Yeah. Can you talk about what yeah. a photographic woodcut might be? Yeah. So I'll tell you my process. Yeah. Um, I, Without giving away actually, too many secrets. <laughs> yeah. Um, I used a cell phone. I used an iPhone XR to take photographs um, that were uh, not self-portraits, but like in line with them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I took those cell phone images. I engraved them using a machine called the CNC machine at Maycaven. Mm-hmm. And then I printed them like a big stamp oh. on paper. Interesting. That sounds great. So cool. Yeah, I like that. I like the mixture of technology and and manual labor. Thank you. I think uh, I would later find out that, you know, it was purposeful to connect it to why I was making the work. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's an an acknowledgement in my own autonomy. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, just to make a long story short, I left a really controlling, exploitive, uh, religion when I was a kid and uh, this work is an acknowledgement to that young person who made a decision and uh, at, at the young age when I left, I think I was 16 I held my own autonomy in my hands for the first time and so I'm looking back and this is the works are an example to how I viewed the world at that time Are you meaning that the the, the actual holding of the device and taking the pictures is a kind of lens for your autonomy? I mean the output, the okay, final okay. product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It becomes sort of you taking on uh, your, your narrative and also the nature of, of whatever you are are capturing within your work. Exactly, right. So I assume that if people go onto your website, they will be able to see some of this work, I hope? Yes, absolutely. It's so the body of work is called Sub7, and my website is rubygonzalezhernandez.com. Great. Ruby, we're going to put this on on our various online things. Share along widely. Share along, right. We'll share it Thank widely. You. Um, it's been a delight having you today. Yeah, Are you going to stay so on for our, our conversation with Susan? I can't. I actually have to go prep for this event tonight. Okay. Well, it has been but a delight talking so to you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, Ruby. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Take care. Take Bye-bye. Care. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. What a fantastic interview. Yeah, it was lovely to talk to Ruby. And if you are interested in going tonight, you may head on over to Bergamos Theater on what's Nope, Fairside, F-A-I-R-S-I-D-E.com. And there's a registration link right there. And then you can dip into that chocolate fountain. So I'm ignorant. Is a chocolate fountain hot chocolate? It's hot chocolate. Imagine a fountain of, of hot, hot chocolate, chocolate and Especially many things to like dip today. within. Fantastic. Oh, it's perfect. And then you get to hang out with artists as you enjoy it. What more could you ask for? Creative heaven. Not much. And Nadine Nelson has made something magnificent. She makes the most beautiful food mandalas. Oh I have no I idea what, what this might be. So you are listening to Live Culture. This is a monthly program about visual art. I'm Martha Willett Lewis, and I'm here with Maxime Schmidt. Hello, hello. And we are about to get on the phone with Susan Clenard after this music musical break. And so stay tuned.
Welcome back to Live Culture. I'm Martha Willett-Lewis, and I'm with Maxime Schmidt, and I keep turning on the wrong phones for him. There we go. Max, are you there? Here I am. I have a voice again. Okay, (laughs) and we have on the phone sculptor Susan Clenard. Susan, can you hear us? Susan, are you there? Yes, I am. Good. I turned on the wrong... uh, Oh. Martha's getting crazy with the buttons. I'm getting crazy with the buttons today. It's not my button day. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm hanging in there. Sometimes yeah. that's all you can do on a rainy Saturday like today. Hanging in yeah. is more than enough. Yeah. Yep. Do you want to give Susan an intro? Yeah. So, Susan, let's talk a little bit about your artistic practice. And, you know, I, I feel that a lot of the work that I've seen from you is really at the core about the empathetic nature of people. And so that sort of as a driving force in your work, what kind of work you've done throughout your career to this point um, and what what excites you about your artistic practice? Well, I mean, you pretty much nailed it, Max. Um, I mean, coming from a social work background and having art in my life since I was a kid um, and knowing that I couldn't really, um, well, I shouldn't say couldn't. I, I I knew that there was a way that I could give back and uh, sh- share stories and do it in the way that filled me back up instead of constantly depleting of my energy, which I found was the case when I was a social worker in Chicago. Um, So, you know, I, it's just, it's this constant, like reflecting the times in which we live, um, finding inspiration in in our daily joys and struggles. And um, sometimes just making work that, you know, makes us wonder and stuff we can't understand. All of that gets mixed up and then the viewer has to figure it out for themselves. And, that's probably my favorite part about being a, an artist is putting work out there and um, hearing hearing the response from from others that may have nothing to do with really my original intent. So that's, yeah. that's kind of special. Yeah. So Susan, because this is radio, can you yeah. describe uh, your work is sculptural assemblage? primarily all yeah, the, yeah. It, it is what mixed, it mixed like? media it's <laughs> contemporary figurative work and mm-hmm. it's much of my newer work in the last 15 years have it's, it's more or less life-size and their their narrative and their subject matter and they're oftentimes there's kind of rather detailed faces and hands incorporated with found jo- objects which are infused or connected to you know represent different things within the body mm-hmm. um and uh i guess keep pushing the envelope to try new materials but it really is um contemporary for figurative work yeah you but know. you you also mix all kinds of found objects in a way that you oh, can yeah. still kind of see what they were and yet they're also this other thing so furniture yes. people they transform Which I find so you know, having have been in the Eli Whitney barn for 12 years, I had access to a lot of like a really beautiful old, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Farm yeah. tools and you name it. And, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that other people's other makers made that object for yeah. a different use altogether and, and keeping its integrity and looking at the beauty for what it is and letting it live yet again in a piece of art is really makes me talk about recycled art or recycled uh or i don't i don't know what you would call upcycled. it but like upcycled, upcycled. there you upcycled. go that just keeps on living and i 
I find that really touching. And Me too, because the pieces themselves oftentimes were meant for human bodies, and you're making figurative sculpture, and they were meant for a as utility objects, right? Something to be yeah. used with a hand or, or sat on or something like that, right? And that, that's right. evident in the, the piece, which is handmade. Um, I am always touched by your use of hands. And I, I had the pleasure of seeing your sister dance at an event oh. not so long ago in New Haven. And I was thinking about you and your relationship to dance um, and hands and gestures. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, of course, I love faces, too, but I think that we hold more of the truth and how we're feeling uh, when we look at one's hands, like what they're doing with their hands when they're talking to you. And not not like I'm trying to psychoanalyze every human I talk to, but it, it is it is interesting. I think our hands are extremely expressive um, and we, we want to give all that expressiveness to the face and, and body language is massive. Oh, and, sure. and and I'm just terribly inspired by um, just the different gestures, how we hold, how we open ourselves, how we grab and, you know, um, you know, anxiety, all of those things you can see in the subtle, most subtle movements in, in hand gestures and the way our shoulders slump or push forward and things of that nature. I find that really inspiring. And, you know, if I <laughs> I'd say this to myself, I'm 50 now, so it's not going to happen. But if I wasn't a sculptor, I think I would have loved to have been a dancer back in the day, but you know, it's never I'm fine with jamming by myself in front of my, <laughs> my sculptures. <laughs> so. So one of the things that stood out to me in you describing your work is that so much of sort of the heart of it is this idea of giving and connecting with others and, and wanting to, to put your experiences and your community experiences back into communities. And yes. I think one of the things that is coming up a lot recently and that you've sort of discussed recently on Facebook is that there's this line that's been crossed, I think, by a lot of arts institutions uh, about artists that are giving and artists that want to serve their communities. And, and it's become more extractive and exploitative. And so you had detailed on Facebook about how in a 72 hour period, which is such a short window of time, you had been completely bombarded by a myriad of different donation demands, free labor demands from different arts groups, educational groups, etc. And one of the things that you said is that a lot of your art practice is about you know, responding to your own depletion of energy based around human connection and the stories that you've carried and heard from others. And it feels like when when these organizations sort of put the burden on you to, hey, Susan, you know, cough up some free artwork for us or, or do some free workshops or whatever it may be, that it then adds to the depletion of energy instead of making the art practice um, something that you are taking authorship over your your ability to give and, and what is realistic as an artist and as a person. That was awesome, Max. Thank you. I mean, everything you said was spot on, perfect, super articulate. And amen, amen, amen. I mean, that's, it is, you know, again, I've been doing this 30 something years and I just keep thinking maybe, maybe it's not going to be so much next year, but instead it, it seems it's more to be increasing. This it need. is increasing. Yeah. And, it you is. know, and I say that with, with a, not being naive to understanding how everyone is struggling really hard. Like people are working really blank, blank, blank hard in America. Well, some of us anyway. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and I, organizations are on the many in New Haven are on the, on the, on the edge of collapse right now. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, I, I get it. I see it and I know, but they, you know, they can, they can uh, apply for grants and other things. I think the, the, the ask of donations from organizations are less, that that's tricky. But the things that bothered me even more were the very institutions. I can't tell you the amount of hours. I mean, hours upon hours I have donated to teaching and of giving to to young people in particular is because I really, really, really give a damn. I really care. And I know a lot of young people don't have access to materials and and teachers that maybe, um, you know, are doing this for a living and might have different perspectives on things. But like to then turn around and, and ask me to give of my time, like for weeks, weeks worth of teaching for free, yeah, it's like opposite of what they're trying to uphold and fight for, and and it just seems like such a hypocrisy that we're in this like constant loop. Well, and I'm exhausted. I'm just so I'm exhausted. Completely it, understandable. <laughs> it turns the artists because we're highly empathetic in general. And, yeah, uh, it. I don't like the way that I feel like I'm a total bad guy if I say no. Yeah, um, right. And yeah. um, and because we're empathetic. And we do give, we get put in the situation of, of being asked to do more, especially as state and federal arts funding dwindles. Well, everything's being privatized and there's an attitude that, right. that you know, companies or somebody else should be doing it, not, right. we don't want big government. But the, the thing is, it makes a false problem. Max and I were talking about this before, which is, it's not about the artists who should be funding or giving more we all like to give and we all like to help this out but the real problem is is that the organizations themselves um if we had a proper tax structure for instance mm-hmm. if the one you know if the one percent were paying more of their taxes Absolutely. and our tax money was going towards mm-hmm. education and roads and libraries and all the things we care about then maybe we wouldn't be so stressed yeah if the wealthy mm-hmm. stepped up and were willing to fund in some capacity or another, privately or otherwise, paying taxes, pri- funding privately these cultural institutions, then it wouldn't be put back on the artists who we already know most of us are broke as could be. Right, and the idea that sort of, oh, well, they, they have it in Europe, but we can't have it here is just like not, it's not helpful. I see what they right. have elsewhere, and I know that it can work. Mm-hmm. Well, which, which is reason why... Um, you know, I brought it, I, it was just a, a, like my mouth was dropped open by the last request I got within that short period of time was like yeah. a city official from a neighboring town. I'm not going to say which town because no. it's not worth it, but saying, hey, could you come out and carve this thing and blah, blah, we could put a plaque next to it. And um, by the way, can you do this for free? Wow. Um, and like I was a, just they like, wanted oh a public work of art God. for free? Something custom well, too for the city. If I tell you what it is, it's gonna. I just. I won't don't, go no, no, into no, no, any detail. You don't have detail, to. You don't have like, to re- it reveal is, anything. It's just. It just felt like, and I were. I was. I was walking my dog at the moment with with my my soon to be college leaving for college son who's who's a, who's a jazz musician, and I thought, <laughs> oh shit, here we go. Like, oops, I just swore. Um, he's like, <gasps> that is a like, big no, uh, Susan. You know, he's watching. He's watching how I've been pushing through this since he was born and how his, my sister, his aunt is pushing through being a a flamenco dancer for 37 years in Chicago, like dear friends of ours who are musicians also like, 
It is like cutthroat. It's gig to gig. Yeah. So many people want to you to free. Oh, because it's just entertainment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So it's fun. So just play it's fun. Free. Um, so we, so it just, it was one of those moments. I'm like, does society really, how do, how did we get to this place where like, it's like your, your everyday person, maybe don't, they don't even fathom that, that we're actually trying to make a living here. Like it's not even on their radar. Well, and, and, and when I, I bring it up, they very oftentimes it's a like, Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. And it's like, what did you think? Like, I just have a hobby. I mean, this is like a little side gig. So, or, or even that, like, <laughs> right. So I think a lot of people don't make things themselves. So they don't know yeah. how much work goes into Agreed. it. Um, we're at a moment where expertise in everything is kind of being reassessed and for yep. good reasons, but also for bad reasons. Like it's, it's yeah. jostled uh, in it's, many ways. It's not, it's not cared for and quite. And the other thing is that a lot of people have jobs that they don't want to be doing and they see mm-hmm. artists doing supposedly exactly what we want to do. Why should we pay for that? Is kind of mm-hmm. there's a there's a mentality about that, right? Like, yeah. you can fund your fun time, and I don't think that it's seen as work. And I had mm-hmm. honestly imagined after COVID lockdown that things would get better in that department because everybody was consuming art constantly, and art saved most people kept us afloat yeah and i really think it's a matter of us artists getting together and developing the language and talking to our politicians and talking to our arts organizations about getting the message out about the value of what we provide yeah i you're absolutely right on all levels absolutely one of the comments oh one, one of the comments on that thread that... Yeah, talk about how the, many people were on that thread. 140 like, plus. <laughs> right. No, this was incredible. You're, you're, We've you're all face- been touched by this. Yeah. Well, because we all feel it. I mean, and even there have been a, there were a few, several people who, who aren't, you know, artists, musicians, writers, whoever, but also could, you know, empathize because they enjoy the work that, well, for whatever reason, but, but every one of us knows this feeling. So so it's not it's not just special to me because I happen to be no. particularly empathetic and no, like connected not- to my community. Although that probably adds to the amount that I get because I have a hard time, like when I care so deeply about for sure young people, it's harder for me because I was like you know then who's losing? They're losing. But then anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, we all felt it like the sheer response was like, yep. Yep. And it feels really manipulative to me, at least. I And, and, totally. I, and I I don't want to say that because, of course, I want children to have art. Like what kind of horrible person wouldn't want that? Right. Max, what was the comment that you that you were talking about? I think one of the comments that stood out the most to me that I think captured everything perfectly was there was a comment about how as as a society, we're extremely dismissive of the arts as a legitimate profession, as something that is, you know, financially very expensive and taxing, something that's, you know, emotionally draining, especially if you make personal work. Never mind navigating all of these difficult relationships with showing art as, you know, a legitimate thing out in the world and other right. fields. But also then in turn saying, hey, but we like this but we desire it for no cost or donation only. And that duality, Mm -hmm. it was summarized in one line, I think by Zora Rawling, who's an awesome artist too. And Mm -hmm. I was like, that, that packs it up perfectly. 
because per- mm-hmm. that's what it comes down to is it's this dismiss this sort of dismissive nature around well our art is just a thing it's sort of this whimsical little thing that we do in our time it's a hobby as you said um and then all of a sudden when we say okay well then we're not gonna you know put this out there we're not gonna expose you to it it's like no but we want it and we want it for free for free all mm-hmm. the time because i'm also suffering even though i don't take anything you do seriously um and i think that attitude is part of what's so disturbing about everything right now mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely a hundred percent so so does it mean is it a person by person basis of you know you know compassionately educating or informing i mean like anything else in this world that we're fighting for or against, it is it is a person to person. At least on for me, um, that that's how I share my messages and everything. Mm-hmm. Like I can tell immediately when people come to my studio, <laughs> maybe what side of the fence they vote on, for example, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I, the body is held really tight and and really like you can see the angst or they're ready to like have a showdown. And then I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not going to. I'm not going to give it to you. But but please feel free to walk around. And if you if you see something you want to talk about, let's talk about it. And immediately I see the shoulders starting to fall because it doesn't take uh, a beast to not feel a a, a common human uh, frailty or 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 desire or whatever. Um, and I know I sound probably naive and, and optimistic beyond belief, but someone's got to. Hey, I choose that route. Mm-hmm. I, I choose that route someone's to live, or else going to crumble. I'm going to crumble because you know I, I do have faith that we people we need to talk to listen. each other, and we need yeah. to. So what you were saying there about people sort of relaxing and looking and feeling it. You know, I think that's what I mean by we need to get our language straight. We need to have some sort of town meeting of artists where we where we have a, a collective front about what the mm-hmm. collective good is. And one of the collective goods is that art uh, allows us to have difficult conversations For about, sure. about all kinds of things. And it's a kind of medium through which these can happen in an easier way than mm-hmm. otherwise. So mm-hmm. think about that movie or that that theater piece or that sculpture or that painting, whatever it is that it mm-hmm. suddenly made it possible for you and some difficult family member or whatever person, person that you want to argue with. You know, all I almost I almost want to see a you know a city state funded documentary. Uh, created of you know local local artists yeah. uh, Connecticut artists that show the day to day going home cooking you know going shopping cooking buying the stuff making the stuff slamming the work into the wall because it doesn't work like mm-hmm. the amount of stuff that doesn't school. work like <laughs> yeah. yeah like but all of it all of it because, that's a great idea know, Susan that's when that's when someone's like oh shit that looks like me. Or mm-hmm. she looks like me, or he looks like me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I get it now. And, and I feel like, and this is true with any of these like deep, deep, entrenched, like bipartisan things that we all battle for in this country. Is like we see the other is so darn different, and so so different. And yeah, and some of our some of our views on things are very different, but we're also very much the same. I agree, <laughs> but, but want to see that. But I think one of the things that we would always probably argue about is 
the level of government. And I believe that we need more government and more funding for these things. And there's other groups that believe it should not be that way and it should be privatized and that other groups can pay for it. And I think, you know, we're seeing the result of things that have been eroding for a long time and the Bernie Madoff uh, scandal actually took away a lot of money from a lot of people who would have been the people funding these things. Of course. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so I don't know how to bridge that gap, but it is something that we need to have a conversation about at some point. The and, discussion is what, where right, it starts. Right. Because our city, the city that, you know, whichever city you happen to live in as an artist, like they need to step up a little bit more and the state needs to step up a little bit more. And they need to actually fund the Office of the Arts and care about what we're doing. And it's not just all about tourism and economic development. And it's not just all about teaching. Yeah, art can inherently be important without its connection to how it can affect other departments. Sometimes we can just celebrate art as art and say, oh, yeah, this is valuable. Because that also feeds the stigma of art on its own isn't that important or valuable. It's how you envision the future, right? Yeah. There is no future envisioning without it. It's incredibly important. Crucial. Well, if, you know, reading through some of those comments, it is, it is, there are just some really fascinating and interesting points. And um, it helped me like notch my twisted shoulders down a little bit <laughs> because just, just it's cathartic enough just to know that we're all in this together. For we sure. are, we are. And um, for once and for that, social media did that because normally it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Like now, norm, normally it's the thing that tears us apart, but it, it reminds yeah. us this time around that we're not alone. Yeah, I would really like to do another show that was just about this topic and have anybody who wanted to call in to to go through it, because I think this is this is a big one. So keep your eyes peeled, folks, because that will be coming to you soon. So Susan Kennard, I want to thank you so much for being on Live Culture. We're going to have to close out. Thank you, Susan. You're the best. You are the best. My sincere pleasure. Cheers to you both. Cheers to you. And we hope you have a great Saturday. Bye bye. Thank you. Ciao. And I want to say goodbye to you, dear listener. And this has been Live Culture with Martha Willett-Lewis and, and Maxim Schmidt. Stay tuned next month, uh, the final Saturday of the month from 11 until 12 noon. And this will be on the archives and as a podcast. Get out there, folks. Support your fellow artists. And we hope you have a beautiful rainy Saturday. Bye-bye. <laughs> Let's take a moment before we begin, regain our composure. Turn off your phone, take a moment alone, let your mind go blank, forget what you know. Take time off, wander around, tidy your home, stop in the lounge, go for a stroll in the back or beyond. Early in the morning doesn't have to be long, capture a song, sketch out a tale. You need a clear sky before you set sail, ignore the whisper that tells you to fail and the doubts that loom as heavy as whales. Here's a secret I learned on tour. Successful people feel like frauds, like they'll be found out one knock on the door. Sorry sir, it's all over, you've been caught. 
Support comes from the Aldrich Contemporary Art Museum. Located in Ridgefield, there are currently several exhibitions running, including a solo show from Afghan-Canadian artist Hangama Amiri, an homage to home. She fled Kabul with her family in 1996 at the age of seven. Her show runs through June 11th. Another show is Prima Materia, the periodic table in contemporary art. This group show links individual works with an element of the periodic table. The show runs through August 27th. More info at thealdrich.org. The New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival is one of the largest and most diverse live music parties in the world, with a lineup including jazz, funk, gospel, rock, Latin, roots, blues, and whatnot. It's a music lover's dream venue. Check it out at nojazzfest.com. During two weekends, the last in April and the first in May, you can hear the music as it happens right here on WPKN, courtesy of our friends at WWOZ in New Orleans. Each afternoon during those times, our programmers will be connecting to the live broadcast straight from Jazz Fest. Keep your radio or streaming device tuned right here and connect with the spirit and sounds of Jazz Fest in New Orleans. On the next Alternative Radio, hear Bernie Sanders, You Can Save the Planet. That's Alternative Radio, Monday mornings at 6 on WPKN 89.5 FM Independent Community Radio. Hi there, Kevin Gallagher here. On this coming Monday, May 1st, I have two guests for you. First up, we'll spend some time with folk bluesman Eric Bibb, a consummate storyteller of the African-American experience. Then at 5 p.m., New York Times columnist and environmentalist and author of many great books about managing our personal carbon footprint will be here on Digging in the Dirt. That's this Monday the 1st here at listener-supported WPKN. My name is John Ogilick. I'm a, one of the donators that's been donating uh, funds as I have them through WPKN, and they're the station I go to to listen to jazz and good music they've been playing over the years. So uh, I really appreciate that they're what they're doing, and I hope that you also contribute some money and keep this place going. Um, I'll leave you guys alone and keep on contributing and for a good cause. Thank you. If you would like to join John and discuss how you might include WPKN in plan giving as part of your estate planning or in your will or retirement plans, please contact us at development at wpkn.org or give us a call for a friendly chat about your future and WPKN's future at 203-331-9756. Let's keep WPKN on the air for another 60 years. Hi, I'm Lou with Citizens Campaign for the Environment, here to tell you how you can protect our water by properly disposing of unused prescription medications. Prescription medications? What does the way I dispose of my old drugs have to do with protecting our water? Everything. 
Most people still don't know that the old method of flushing unused medications contaminates Long Island Sound with steroids, hormones, and antibiotics. Wow. This affects our drinking water, rivers, harbors, and it affects our aquatic wildlife too. That's awful. I want cream and sugar in my coffee, not steroids and antidepressants. Pharmaceuticals in the water can't be good for fish. What can I do to help? Well, the good news is that towns across the state are offering new locations for residents to safely and anonymously dispose of their unused and expired drugs. If your town does not have a disposal program, you can always crush tablets or empty capsules into the garbage. How do I find out more? Visit citizenscampaign.org to find a safe disposal location near you and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. I get it. Don't flush your drugs. Hello there, this is Kevin Gallagher, host of Digging in the Dirt, and you're tuned to WPKN in Bridgeport, Connecticut at 89.5 FM and streaming live at WPKN.org. <laughs> 